Is being a member of a church just about tithing and having your name on the roster? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September is Connected to Christ, Why Membership Matters. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Connected to Christ costs $5.99 plus shipping and handling. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Connected to Christ, 1-800-325-3040. No matter what we choose to believe, there's no God who condones taking the life of an innocent human being. Where I think we are in the culture, but also with religious institutions, is that people have stopped hating us, that is to say LGBT people, but they're not yet ready to celebrate us. That's the next big work to do. Maybe it's something as simple as you whistle while you work. Just whistle while you work. Mega churches are a house of cards. Mega churches really are the primary example of what's wrong with evangelicalism. Why it's so thin, so insubstantial, so unsatisfying. Southern Illinois truck drivers who love issues, etc. They always say when they bring the baby home from the hospital that it's 18 years, right? That's kind of the magic number for the next 18 years. Is that really true? I know that, at least in a legal sense, at 18, as currently counted in America, they are considered, in most respects, independent adults, but 18 certainly doesn't cut the apron strings. There's no doubt about that. They actually just start getting really expensive at 18 if you're sending them off to college or university, and then they're likely to move back home for a while and still use all the resources that they were before they went off to college. So at least in a financial sense, the cords are not cut at 18. Are they really ever cut at all in a true scriptural sense between parents and children? You remain their parents in a biological sense. Do you remain their parents for life in any other sense? Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be doing part seven of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. Today, the boundaries and the changing ages of our children, trying to establish proper boundaries with adult children. And what about their marriages and their own parenting? Pastor Jonathan Fisk will be our guest a little bit later. Joy Pullman of The Federalist will join us to talk about Attorney General Jeff Sessions, free speech and the media. And then Pastor Paul McCain will be with us in hour two of Issues, etc., to begin a four-part series on the past, the present, and the future of confessional Lutheranism. Today we'll talk about Luther is the right man, the right place, at the right time. Feel free to join us with your questions or comments. You can send us an email, talkback at issuesetc.org. You can send us a tweet at issuesetc or the issues, etc. comment line 618-223-8382. Joining us for part seven of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism to talk about boundaries as our children become adults themselves, Pastor Jonathan Fisk host of a radio show called Sharper Iron and author of the book Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. Jonathan, welcome back. Thanks for having me. How do you respond to someone who says, look, uh, well, when they're 18, or more likely they're going to say if they're realistic, once that they're out of the house on their own, certainly married with their own kids, 
they're no longer my business. How do you respond? Well, first, I, I think the fact that the way you phrase that in the middle, which I think is the way most people were, would phrase it today, once they're out of the house, I think that portrays something really interesting about our culture and our understanding of family and life. And it's not that there's no truth to the matter that living in somebody else's house is living under their authority. I mean, it's, you know, you move in as a guest for a weekend and you're going to follow their, their rules or their order or their way of sort of uh, living life together. There's a tie then, though, between this idea of being in the house and you mentioned earlier, you know, being under the monetary system of the parent. Which I don't think we always translate to what you did say there at the end of your question, but I don't think the culture does. The way that the Bible kind of determines when a family becomes a new family and not part of the old family, which is that the two have become one flesh in marriage, right? And so there is that that interesting lack of connection between where we start this question. And I find that fascinating on a number of levels kind of going its own direction. But to try to get back at your question directly... You know, are they are they done when a, a man leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife and the two become one flesh, as Jesus says, quoting Moses on behalf of God the Father, right? Are they are they gone for good? And, and to use your words again, is it none of your business? And this is where I think the very thing we've been wrestling with, with boundaries and parenthood and owning the authority God has given us needs to be brought back to the fore. Because there is no way, there's no way that your father ever stops being your father. And there's no way that your mother ever stops being your mother. There may be a shift in in the boundaries that we draw, the, the agreements we make with each other about how we're going to behave and, and where we get freedoms and all these kinds of things. But there really is no leaving behind that vocational relationship that is, is the most natural of all the relationships that we have, so much so that there is no escaping it, period. It's you are born of father and mother. And even adoption, a valuable thing as it is, is not quite the same thing as that reality. Now, it can begin, again, it can begin to mimic it. If you're adopted into a family and you grow up for 18 years in that family and you go off and you get married, that person who is your adoptive father, they're going to be your father. That that role which is fulfilling the designed rule, is not going to go away. And so while I, I want to avoid today, if possible, pass laws about where you got to draw these boundaries, I think it's pretty important to recognize how valuable focusing on or intentionally drawing these boundaries can be for all parties involved. Because while on the one hand, the child, now a man or a woman, now with their own family, now with their own kids, are going to have their own challenges which they want to face and meet with their own ideas, the parents also are going to want to be involved in that on a number of levels, as grandparents and then as parents. And at the same time, they have to recognize that the child, now an adult, isn't necessarily going to be able to learn in the same way that they used to learn, although maybe they'll want to. And finding that place where both parties are embracing the new boundaries of the new role, but still maintaining, you know, over and against your question, maintaining a very real familial relationship that's generations long. Well, I think that's something that we do well to focus on in an age in which family is really kind of up for grabs what that word even means. So let's talk about the transition because this doesn't happen overnight, even though when a kid turns 18, he may then legally, in some respects, be considered under the law a kind of a 
self-responsible adult. Talk about the transition between that is, you know, where they're children and then where they're adults. Right. We've hit this a little in the past. And, and caveat, you know, my oldest is 12. So it's not like I'm a pro or, or a veteran at the full kind of end of this thing. Although I did live through it from the other side, you know, being the child who now has parents that I try to maintain a relationship with and, and show them honor and respect. But in terms of then with what I have seen and what I am striving to do is to take an approach which gradually lets the leash that we have structured around this infant and then two-year-old and then six-year-old and then eight-year-old let that leash out bit by bit so that there's a freedom to express self-rule or self-control or or autonomy not not literally but you know autonomy to an extent while also keeping firm boundaries that are are clearly there and are, are taught as being there not just because not just because i'm father and i said so but ultimately as a means of trying to protect you, my child, I'm speaking as I would to my child, to protect you until you're able to see this for yourself and to try to actually help you see it so that as you have to make your own decisions, you can learn from the decisions we've made, whether they're right or wrong, but, but learn from the approach or the idea or the understanding that we want you to do things like strive to protect your faith, that we want you to do things like perceive the value of modesty in your decision making, things like that, right? But then allowing give and take with that leash, and sometimes we got to shorten it and sometimes you got to lengthen it, so that when 18 or 20 or 25 comes around, you know, whenever the marriage that, that, that really truly takes the child away is going to happen, that this isn't just sort of like moving from total, you're under my house, under my finances, on my healthcare package, I'm paying for everything to see you later, you're gone, but that in fact the child is is equipped to make those steps as if they're just the most natural next steps in life. And another example, as opposed to the, you know, you're married, you're gone. A lot of the way this is often approached, the way for me, it just kind of happened. I don't think this was intentional, but it was sort of like, well, there's college, you know, everything was taken care of. And now you're in a dorm room with uh, money that you have from your loans and not, I didn't have a car, so I couldn't quite do everything I wanted to, but it was pretty much rule yourself. And I was in no way, I can just say personally, I was in no way prepared to make healthy decisions at that point. <laughs> and, and, and it was, it was like a black or white scenario, right? My goal with, with my children is to not leave them in that situation where they go from one day, I'm under rules. And the next day, I'm I'm free to be as licentious as I like. But at the very least, that that they will see that the reasons to not be licentious are are ones that are uh, maybe worth choosing on your own, and bring them to that point well before they're off having to make that decision themselves. Now, is any of that narrow or a specific example? No, not really. Uh, but I, I think it kind of gets at the gist of what what we all have to wrestle with individually. Most of the time, that transition happens in conjunction. A lot of the time, I should say, with the child leaving after graduating from high school and heading off either a long way away or a short distance away to go to college. They move out and they move in to a dorm or an apartment. And by and large, what's usually happening there, with exceptions, is that they're still living on mom and dad's dime and they're still living in a somewhat controlled 
atmosphere. Their life is regulated by their classes and things like that in the best of all possible worlds. That's where the transition usually begins. What do you think about that? Is that a smart thing to do? It sends our kids off from home and high school to the relative freedom without the relative responsibility of college or university. Oh, but before I answer that, I, I want to say I think you painted a rosy picture of the structure of the of dorm life and class class education at the coll- collegiate level. I remember people being so excited when they realized I don't have to go to class. You mean I can I can skip class and the teacher's not going to say anything? And it wasn't until later in the semester when they then had to end up retaking much of the semester or dropping out, right, that they realized this was still going to hit them if they didn't do it. But the the structure that's involved in, in the college life is all but non-existent. I mean, there's there's hours posted on the on the cafeteria if you're at a small school, but at larger schools, those are probably even open at 24 hours a day or, or, or at any time that you would want them to be. And with that dorm life, the, any kind of structure or boundaries to dorm life has been gradually decreasing to the to the level where you have now co-ed dormitories, where literally they they may not be in the exact same room, but they're in the same shared room with ten rooms all around it, and they, it it pretty much is is open game uh, at, at that situation. So I think you're you're, you're painting it. Awful pretty. And there may be some some colleges that are there are some colleges out there that are working harder to keep that from being the case. But to assume that there's structure there for your child when you send them to college because it was there when you went to your alma mater 35 years ago, that's a big assumption. And so now to, to the bigger question, you know, is it a good idea to push the baby bird out of the nest and just hope it flies? Personally, and again, I'm going to emphasize, this is my opinion here, but personally, I don't want to do that to my child. I did not do well when I was given that freedom. I did very poorly. And while I probably would have fought my parents tooth and nail to gain that freedom because I was an ignorant fool, and they they may have given it to me because I was a willful and, and uh, rude person as well, I wished, I wished to high heaven in many ways uh, that, that it had been denied me. Because as bad as that was, it really wasn't until, personally, I did drop myself out of the education I was in and end up back in underneath my parents' roof, having to rely on their care to restructure my life again, that I began to learn the value of of the boundaries that my parents did set for their life, not just in terms of their religion, but in terms of their decision making. And I think I was very lucky. In fact, I can I can point you directly, lucky, blessed, however you want to say it, I can point you directly to the car accident that I was in, in which I landed a truck on its side because I was driving under the influence and, and managed to not only not damage the truck, although it's on its side in the embankment, I didn't damage the, the truck or myself. I came out of this thing fully fine, but I very well could have been dead, you know, <laughs> and, and so to see that and, and ask, you know, what can I learn from this to help my child moving forward? Well, one of the things would be uh, we have no intention of sending our children directly into a collegiate atmosphere without any support system, especially miles and miles and miles away, especially at a cost of, you know, twenty to thirty to forty thousand dollars a year, especially when they're going to try to brainwash my kid into being a, a social liberal <laughs> in the meantime. Right. Uh, all of those things are things we're taking into account. Count, as we talk with our children about what does your vocation look like as a citizen of this world and as a citizen of the church in the future, 
And how do we help you get to the point where you embrace that vocation and get the skills necessary to serve in that vocation? What are the best steps we can take for this? And that goes all the way from, at the moment, our choice for, for homeschooling. Uh, down to uh, how, how again, or when or where we seek to have them go to church on Sunday morning, to what we allow them to play, to what we allow them to read. I mean, it, it all comes to bear. And all of this, each one of those things is a boundary that isn't necessarily set permanently, but has to kind of ebb and flow as we give them more and more freedom to make their own choices and their own decisions and find the ramifications of that, hopefully, Without the option being to drive a car off the edge of a road while driving inebriated, right? <laughs> you know, to, to, to get them to that point where they're able to see that error before they get to it. And this is the task of parenthood. And it's, I'm not claiming it's easy or that I'm good at it. I'm just saying it's there. And this whole series is really trying to wrestle with that while it is there, we live in a culture that says it's not there. And a good example of that, of course, would be this idea that, well, you're 18, go off to college now. I'll pay for the tuition, but you're pretty much a man now. Well, I think that's I think that's ignorant to, to to do that and to say that. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part seven of our series on raising Christian children in age of secular progressivism, talking about boundaries and the changing ages of our children. What role do parents play in the life of children who are, well, married and have children of their own? We'll answer that after this and get into some of the passages Pastor Fisk wanted to highlight. The way she talks when she's spoken to down to me The change has come, she's under my thumb I take it easily Would you like to help a college or seminary student attend the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference? You can purchase a conference scholarship for a contribution of $120 to Issues Etc., you can donate online at issuesetc.org slash scholarship, issuesetc.org slash scholarship. Or you can make your $120 check payable to Issues Etc. Write scholarship in the memo line and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Millions confess the great creeds of the church each week. But Why? Learn more about Christian creeds and Lutheran confessions this month in The Lutheran Witness. Get six issues of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's premier magazine for only $6.99 when you visit cph.org slash trilutheranwitness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org slash trilutheranwitness. Essential exercise for the Christian mind. You're listening to Issues Etc., have you been too busy to get your associate's, bachelor's, or master's degree? Concordia University, Wisconsin offers 50 online educational options. Find out more at issuesetc.org. Click the Concordia University online logo and enter the program code ISSUES to waive your application fee. Concordia University, Wisconsin is here to strengthen and support the church. Lifelong Lutheran Learning issuesetc.org and click Concordia University, Wisconsin online. We don't know anything about this formerly blind and mute man. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. What we do know is what Jesus did for him and what Jesus did for that man, he is doing now for you. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. 
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. We're talking about adult children. So what role do parents then play in the lives of adult children, especially if they have kids of their own? Well, I think the first thing to recognize is that you're still an authority in their life. You're not an authority with the power to say jump and they say how high. But you will, when you speak carry with your words, whatever they are, a tremendous power, a tremendous emotional and even subconscious power that is really unmistakable. We all kind of know it, right? We all still are, I think, psychology would tell us, we're all still trying to please our parents one way or the other. As good as they might be, we we have a, an intuitive need for their approval. And this is a healthy, healthy thing. And so to be a father and mother who or mother who recognizes that that is still there, and then strives to, as you have up to this point, use this to empower and equip your child for the future, which means from time to time speaking with authority. Now, I'll give you just another example. And I think my father's been really quite good about this with, with me, at least. You know, he we, we see each other a couple times a year. They'll come here. We'll go there and we'll, we'll talk about all manner of stuff. And for the most part, they let me just talk about my life and what I think. And they kind of say, good job, Jonathan. We're, we're proud of you. But every so often, I'll get an email from from my dad. And he, he when he sends me an email like that, I know it's serious. It's usually only, you know, a couple of paragraphs long. But he will, he will sit down and he will write to me, Jonathan, here's what I thought the last time you said this. And here is where it concerned me. And even though I don't always agree with what he says, even though I'm like, oh, I think he misunderstood what I said. We should chat again about this. The fact that he sits down and he does that to me, for me, is a tremendous benefit to me. It makes me want to know more of my father's mind. And this is something that I wish I'd known as a young man, that I, they, what, what wisdom my, my dad has, that I would I begin to seek that. And of course, as he ages, I, I, I want to seek it more. But part of this, again, is he's embraced that role, and yet he's striven to, to do it in a way which isn't sort of a you can't do this or you better not do this kind of way. I was listening to a, a book this morning on Audible by a, a gentleman who started a website called Reddit, which is one of the most important websites on the internet. I actually use it, but it's, it's just huge. It's the front page of the internet. And he was talking about how I think I'm getting this this correct, uh, which, which place I heard this, but he was talking about how when he was 18 years old, his his authority figure, which I can't remember if it was a grandparent or, or a parent, but they effectively told him, you know, you will be nothing without me. You need my finances to, to survive. Here's the job I want to give you. And but you, don't you ever cross me on this. And the result was an immediate rebellion. Uh, he, he went out and he attempted to run for office in his local uh, precinct and got fired from his job. Right? And, and part of this was a rebellious streak trying to lift up or, or move against a parent who is trying to retain a do this, don't do that authority when that time had more or less passed rather than embracing the more uh, gentle guidance role or the, 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 the fact recognizing that you have authority simply by speaking again without having to try to, to force it with the sword as it were and so forth. And I think I did get the wrong name of the, the gentleman that that was. But in either case, point still remains the same. And so in this then, right? So how do you begin to do this? Well, carefully. <laughs> that phrase from Ephesians chapter six where 
Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That continues to go with you as parents your whole life long, right? Do not do not provoke your children as you strive to continue to be their parents, even when they're parents. But recognizing that the truth of the Lord's word and the truth of logic and wisdom and, and how you can learn to live a good life or a well life, a dutiful life in this present age, these are still things you want to continue to give just recognizing that that role is shifting and moving. And you want to talk where it gets awkward now, right? Where it gets really awkward and tough, and, and I'll say this from both ends, is when there come those moments when the child has to begin teaching the parent. That's very hard on the parent because parents are used to being an authority. But when you start having to deal with, talk later in life, the parent's finances and that you have to take control of them because they're kind of getting themselves into trouble because they're, what, what, throw your example out there that say that you have, you know, the phone calls are coming in asking for money and they think everything is a good thing to give money to and they're giving away their, their fixed income and all this kind of stuff or being taken advantage of, right? That moment, whatever it is, you, you put your example in. It's very, very challenging because you're basically inverting the order of creation. And yet, because of the fall, because of sin, because of death and decay, it is something that does happen in most of our lives as humans, that the child has to begin to care for the parent, which makes me think of another place where my, my father did a, a very kind thing to me when he was, I think, still quite a few years away from death, but he approached me one day and said, Jonathan, I want you to be the executor of my will. So he had taken the, the decision to recognize there was going to be a time when he would no longer be able to manage his affairs, and he, he passed the authority to me, like literally, right? And that's that's just one example, but again, it's it's looking ahead and seeing where these roles and these boundaries have to shift and change because of who we are and how we shift and change and our own growth and decay in this fallen world. Now, that's probably a bit more than the question actually asked, but but I think all of that there, again, is demonstrative of this. There is a, a relationship here. It is founded on the design of creation, that there is authority built into our vocations, and that the parent has that over the child, but has to release it. But even up to the day that the Alzheimer's mother is forgetting your name, right? Where's that pain come from? It's from the authority that you're, you, you've lost, right? The, the authority to love you, which is now gone, and that's what hurts so much, right? The authority to call your name or name you, and it, it's gone. So it just never goes away, even when the individual goes away. Uh, it, it never goes away. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. We're in our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. We're talking about the changing boundaries when your children grow older in the Issues Etc. Journal this month, we have, and well, I took up the issue of bad preaching and one of the examples of bad preaching from the latest Issues Etc. Journal, an updated listener's guide to the pulpit, is the Little Engine That Could sermon. This is a sermon where the preacher talks a lot about how stressful your life is. In fact, stress, not sin, is your problem, and Jesus is there to help you see that you can do it with just a little better coaching from Jesus, you can do it. When all is said and done, the sinner can count on Jesus to help, but not to save. Just one example of bad preaching from the Issues Etc. Journal. You can subscribe absolutely free. You'll also find Pastor Matt Richards' journal contribution, the Wittenberg Trail feature of how he went from folk Lutheranism to confessional Lutheranism in the online Issues Etc. Journal. Subscribe for free. Issuesetc.org. There's a red button on the right-hand side. Click that, enter your email address, and we will send you absolutely free the online Issues Etc. Journal. When we come back, we're going to get into Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you should walk, not as unwise, but as wise. What does that have to do with parents and their adults? 
adult children. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional, Christianity, and Lutheranism, and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. If you're like me, you remember when education was about the basic skills of reading, writing, and arithmetic and about reading great literature and history that gave our kids models of what it is to be a good person. Memoria Press's classical Christian curriculum is bringing this kind of education back. Get $5 off your next order by using the coupon code LPR. For more information, go to memoriapress.com. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Peace Evangelical Lutheran Church of Chehalis, Washington. Biblical historic Christianity, whose source is Scripture, whose heart is the Gospel. If you're in Southwest Washington, join us for the Divine Service. You will receive Jesus, crucified and risen again for the forgiveness of your sins. We promise. For more information, call us at 360-748-4108. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by joining the Issues Etc. 300. Grace Lutheran, Henderson, Nevada. Faith Lutheran, Orange City, Iowa. Bethany Lutheran, Fairview Heights, Illinois. Bethlehem Lutheran, North Zoltz, Texas. Risen Christ Lutheran, Arvada, Colorado. Trinity Lutheran and Grace Lutheran, Wichita, Kansas. Emmanuel Lutheran, Perryville, Missouri. Risen Savior Lutheran, Basar, Kansas. St. John Lutheran, Champaign, Illinois. Trinity Lutheran, Auburn, Nebraska. Holy Trinity Lutheran, Columbia, South Carolina, Grace Lutheran, Elgin, Texas, Gethsemane Lutheran, Marion, Ohio, and St. John Lutheran, Springfield, Pennsylvania. Find out how your church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click support, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes a congregational sponsor, we'll publicize your congregation on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part seven of our series on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. We're talking about adult children. What does uh, Ephesians chapter five have to do with this issue? Well, first, 
contextually, Ephesians chapter 5, the first segment, is the lead-in to the back end of Ephesians chapter 5 and the front part of Ephesians chapter 6, which really probably should all be one chapter, in which St. Paul, speaking to those who are living as Christians in the present age, striving to care for each other in general, he details the the dominant vocations in which we tend to find ourselves, namely husbands and wives, parents and children, and then workers and those for whom we work, at that time slaves and masters. And so it has a ton to do with that. But if you back up beyond the you know parents and children part, or, or even the husbands and wives part, in which that husband language really should be applied to anybody who's in a position of authority, that is, to, to rule as Christ rules the church, which is for the good of the church, right? To seek its benefit and its long-term well-being. You back up beyond that, and you have this more general exhortation, at the root of which, verses 15 through 17 of chapter 5, I mean, they've just been personally striking me more and more recently as as ones we maybe in a nicer age were able to forget. You know, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that is what we're striving to do with this series with regard to parenting. And, and that is a question which you can't answer if you don't acknowledge that there is a problem to be solved. What I mean is, if you think that parenting is just going to happen, it's just going to come naturally, then you're not making the best use of the time. You can't be. And you're not walking as wise. You're walking as unwise. You have to be because you haven't acknowledged that there's a challenge, right? You're never going to get your way out of a maze if you think that you're walking in an open field. You're going to end up just wandering around that maze, assuming that everything is fine when it actually is not. And you go back even further then to how Paul begins chapter five altogether. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. How? And this is so key to what we're talking about as beloved children recognizing that the the image of fatherhood for us is not first and foremost the man who you call father. The image of fatherhood is who God is over his whole creation, over his son Jesus Christ, and in Jesus over you. And so Paul says, you know, as these beloved children of God walk in love. Walk in love. You are light in the world, it goes on, as children of the light. Now, as parents striving to use that native authority that you'll never lose as you parent your adult children without any official authority over them, and as adult children or young children growing into your adulthood, striving to respect and honor your parents, even once they no longer have you know household authority over you, this idea that we would all be together under that authority of the God who loved us and sent his son to give himself for us, that we would all be children of that light. And that light is found, Paul says, in all that is good and right and true. Well, placing that as our goal together and then teaching each other to pursue that, well, we can't do much worse than we would do if we weren't trying at all, I guess I would say, right? And this is so important that when grace... When grace and forgiveness becomes the predominant attitude of the family, as you pursue a life in, with, or over the law, recognizing the wisdom of the law, you have this glue that holds you together. That even when you disagree, or even when you fail, or even when you overstep your your boundary in one direction or the other, that ability to show mercy to each other 
binds us all together as this body, right? This body, which is family, this body, which is church, which uh, makes us able to stand. As Paul's going to go on and talk about chapter six, right? This armor of light, which is faith in Jesus, which is the, the, the truth of God's word. It makes us able to stand in the evil day, but we, we stand by this, by this grace. So, if I can say, you know, I mentioned earlier some of my dark past and, and my, my idiotic decisions as a young man, I'll tell you what really made the difference in all of that. It wasn't that my parents came up to the college I was at and said, you better move home now, young man, you're in deep trouble. It was that when they found me in that, in that dark state, they continued to love me. They continued to offer to use their authority for my good. They recognized how how fragile I was in that. And rather than push me to try to be right right now, they just they kept forgiving me. They kept binding up my wounds, like the, the Samaritan that finds the, the beaten man by the road, right? They put me on their own donkey, took me back to the hotel, and, and cared for me again until I was able to walk my way again. And, and I, I will maintain in my dying day, it was that, that image of God from them, that forgiveness, which walked me past my own lack of self-control and into the position now where you know I, I really would like to have boundaries for my children, but always, always under grace and and for the sake of grace that that's the thing they wouldn't lose sight of not because grace lets you be licentious right but because grace again is that power by which we can stand together as people waiting for christ's return pastor jonathan fisk is host of a radio show called sharper iron author of the book broken seven christian rules that every christian ought to break as often as possible there will be a link to it at our website issuesetc.org. click listen on demand and look for broken seven Christian rules that every Christian ought to break as often as possible. You can also call Concordia Publishing House and order the book for yourself, 1-800-325-3040. 1-800-325-3040. Jonathan, thanks for being our guest. Always a pleasure. Thank you.